0: Thanks for listening to the New Stanton Church podcast. Check out our website at newstantonchurch.com where you can find out how to join our live stream in 901 on Sunday mornings. Now let's prepare our hearts for the word that we're about to receive. Uh, good morning, church. Thanks for joining us in person and online. Uh, if you started attending in the last couple of weeks, we may not have met. I'm Pastor Steve. Uh, as we begin, I, I have to say a number of you have notice that tank over on your left, and asked, is that for baptisms, or is that something they're using for vacation Bible school this year? This morning, at the end of second service, as Bobby said, Uh, We're gonna celebrate our first baptism by immersion in the church building. And I am so excited about that because God is doing an amazing work in this young lady's life and we get to celebrate that with her this morning. But I thought I would take the opportunity to talk about this morning what baptism is and why we celebrate it as followers of Jesus. Baptism is what the church calls a sacrament, Uh, and Protestants or non-Catholics only celebrate two sacraments, baptism and the Lord's Supper. Catholics celebrate seven. Uh, It's all good. I'll try to uh, tell you not why the Catholics celebrate seven, but I'll explain why Protestants celebrate only two. John Wesley said... A sacrament is an outward sign of an inward grace and a means we receive the same. Now, let me say that a little bit differently so that it's not as clear as much. A sacrament is an outward act with a physical element like bread, wine, water, that physically displays what God is doing through his grace in someone's life. But the act itself is also a way to experience the grace of God. Now, historically for Protestants, in order for something to qualify as a sacrament, they had to meet three criteria. And I want to go over those with you this morning. This is why Protestants celebrate two and not seven. Number one, Jesus had to establish the practice. In other words, Jesus said, "Do this." So, in regards to the Lord's Supper, Jesus said in Luke twenty-two nineteen through twenty, and he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, "This is my body, given for you. Do this." In remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. So in the case of baptism, Jesus said in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, then Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So the first condition for something becoming a sacrament is that Jesus said to do it. The second condition for something to be considered a sacrament is this it must have a physical element in those passages you can see the need for the elements of bread and wine and water the second condition eliminates many of the other things that the catholic church practices at as sacraments in the minds of protestants church The second condition, like, uh, for example, uh, last rites or confession, for example, doesn't have a physical element to it, so we eliminate it, even though they practice it. And then third, the physical sign must have a biblical word of promise attached to it that can only be experienced through faith. So, Eating a little piece of bread and drinking a sip of juice or wine does nothing for you without faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus. You can take a bath in a tub any day of the week, but this is different because of what God promised to do in this moment. Jesus promised to wash us clean of sin because believing that our sin was buried with Christ and that we are raised to new life. He promises to make us new through faith. This baptism is a way to dramatize that with physical elements and we cling to the promise of what God said he will do. God shows up in these sacred moments and no scholar or saint or preacher can fully comprehend the divine work that God does through the sacraments. There will always be some mystery in the work of God. This morning, I'm gonna take my best shot at conveying the miracle of God's grace that is present in baptism. But I'm gonna confess to you on the front end that at some level, I'm going to fail. Because the most eloquent prose or the most impassioned melodies that would bring you to tears would still fail to convey the depth of beauty and mystery of God's grace extended in the sacraments. The church has historically struggled over the centuries with two extremes regarding the sacraments. The pendulum has kind of swung over time with the winds of time. Uh, At time, the the church has placed too much emphasis on baptism, claiming that if you're baptized, you are therefore saved. While at other times, the church has not put enough emphasis on baptism, claiming that if someone is saved, they don't even need to be baptized. Like most extremes, the truth lies somewhere on the narrow path at the center, at the foot of the cross. Baptism, if understood or treated simply as having water applied to one's body, has no draw or appeal or significance other than to appease a grandparent. But if you place baptism at the backdrop of our sin, The beauty of the resurrection casts a light so bright that no shadow remains at all. Baptism has many meanings in scripture. Cleansing, burial, resurrection, the death of the old, the new life that is born in Christ. Just to name a few. Once a person admits their sin and turns to Jesus for salvation, some step must be taken to proclaim to heaven and to earth that they are a follower of Jesus, united with him. And baptism is that step. It's a step that Jesus himself commanded, as we saw in Matthew 28. Baptism is often a person's first step of a faith and obedience. The, the sacrament of baptism was so foundational in the New Testament that every single new believer was baptized. The only exception that I can find in scripture to that is the thief that was nailed to the cross next to Jesus. But he didn't have a choice, right? The, the, the Romans were not going to take him down off the cross so he could be baptized because he just expressed faith in Jesus. Not only that, this is before the resurrection. Jesus hadn't even commanded that every believer be baptized yet. But I think the lesson of the thief on the cross next to Jesus that was saved is this. In the end, it's Jesus who saves. The church has a part in the rites and the rituals and the practice of the sacraments. But Jesus saves. But this does bring up a really, really good debate that circles around the baptism waters like a shark. What's the right way to do baptism? Can you sprinkle? Can you pour? Do do you have to be immersed? In, In this debate, I think it's really helpful to look at other miracles that Jesus did. For example, Jesus healed a number of people that were blind. On one occasion, he made mud with his spit and put it on someone's eyes and told them to go wash in a pool, and they were healed. On another occasion, Jesus just spit on somebody's eyes. Um, Yes, that's gross, Uh, but neither of those people could see what was coming, so, hey. On another occasion, Jesus simply said, your faith has healed you. Go and see. And as the person went, he saw. On another occasion, Jesus simply just touched somebody's eyes and restored their sight. My my point is the method of healing a blind person is obviously not as important. The the technique isn't as important as the who that did the miracle. Healing is found in Jesus, not doing a healing correctly. I believe the same can be said of baptism. The point isn't the amount of water. The point is being baptized with water in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in obedience to Jesus. I kind of half-jokingly ask some of my brothers and sisters in Christ who believe baptism must be done only by immersion. Why? Most people who believe baptism must be done by immersion point to John the Baptist's baptism of Jesus in the Jordan River. And the fact that the scripture says when he came up out of the water, the spirit descended, the voice of the Father, all that. It's important to note that John's baptism of Jesus was a baptism of repentance, not salvation. Jesus hadn't died yet. So we're not really comparing apples to apples in the first place anyway. It's also important to remember that there are some places in the Jordan River you could immerse someone, and there are other places in the Jordan River that it's too shallow to immerse someone. The phrase, he came up out of the water, could mean that when Jesus walked out of the water onto the shore, it's linguistically possible. We have no way of knowing when John put Jesus in the water, if he put him all the way under Or not one other consideration many denominations who feel that the amount of water is critical even though the amount of water isn't specifically stated in Scripture those same denominations are willing to use grape juice and bread that has yeast in it even though Scripture does clearly state that Jesus used wine and unleavened bread. I would simply ask that we look beyond the type of beverage, the kind of bread, and the amount of water in order to focus on the beautiful thing that God is doing in the sacraments and in someone's life. Shifting gears a little bit. Baptism, unless there is some special circumstances are always done in public. And the reason is because baptism is a public proclamation that a person is identifying with Jesus. Uh, If if you're married, how would you feel if your spouse wanted to keep your marriage a secret? You probably wouldn't like that. (laughs) God wants followers who will walk out of the shadow of sin and stand publicly to proclaim that he is their Lord and Savior. Baptism kind of raises the commitment bar. Just as marriage unites two hearts into one, baptism unites a believer with Jesus. Like marriage, we, we don't know where this relationship with Jesus will take us. We don't know the challenges that we will face, We don't know the joy that we will experience or the blessings we'll share together. But we do know, like in marriage, that Jesus will never leave us. That's why marriage is the closest reflection to God's love on the face of this earth. His, I will be with you, isn't simply, hey, if you need me, I'll come. You know, call call me. No, he resides in us we have a unity with him similar again to marriage where the two become one baptism doesn't save anyone but the act of baptism symbolizes how we are saved the work of the holy spirit is dramatized in the water we are washed by the blood of jesus the act proclaims that apart from Jesus, we are dirty with sin. But in Christ, we are washed clean, pure, made alive, new. It's a witness to God's salvation. Martin Luther, the great reformer, referred to baptism as drowning. The old life dies and the new life begins. Christ's death becomes our death, and his resurrection becomes our resurrection. There are no examples of unbaptized believers in the New Testament, except the thief on the cross. In this church, we practice the baptism of infants. Uh, The early church did the same. Uh, The why we do that is actually grounded in the Old Testament. Not many people know that. Circumcision used to be the sign of the old covenant. Baptism is the sign of the new covenant. Jews were given the sign of the covenant at eight days old. At least the boys were because it was circumcision. Isaac, Abraham's son, was given the sign of the covenant at eight days old. He was an heir to the promise of God that God made with Abraham. How could that be? Isaac couldn't have faith at eight days old. He didn't understand the covenant at all. The reason was he was given the sign of the covenant because he was going to be raised in a household of faith with Abraham and Sarah and a community of faith, the body of believers. Isaac would grow up understanding his trust in God as he grew And his faith practice would grow as he grew, guided by his parents and the community. He would know nothing else. We baptize infants who are are part of a faith community for the same reason. The early church was made up of Jews who were familiar with this sign of the covenant being extended to their children. And it's true that you don't see infants being baptized in the gospels because we're talking about people, adults, who are hearing the gospel for the first time and responding in faith. It's a very practical reason why we don't see infants being baptized. But later on, we do read in Acts that Cornelius' whole household was baptized. No, infants aren't specifically mentioned but the early church practiced it, practiced infant baptism. Most churches have some parameters on who they will baptize and who they will not. At New Stanton Church, we will not baptize infants or adults who are not part of a faith community. We respect very much parents who want to wait to baptize their children until they're older. That's that's awesome too. And we will do a remember your baptism experience or celebration for kids that were baptized as infants. We'll we'll put them in a tank, we'll sprinkle them again and say, remember your baptism so that they can for themselves own that decision that their parents made when they were little, that they're affirming as an adult, but that honors God's activity from the day they were born until the day they decide for themselves to accept Jesus we will also not baptize someone for a second time for two reasons. Scripture says that there is one baptism. Ephesians 4 says this, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, here it is, one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is over all and through all, and in all. And second, it, as if you need a second, other than Jesus said that, um, baptism is primarily a celebration of what God does through his grace. It's a celebration of God reaching down to save, not our lifting up. It, it's celebrating God and his work. It's celebrating that God saves us according to his promise and will never leave us. So if you or I, wander from the faith, God doesn't need to promise again. He was faithful, we were not. Baptism is a celebration of God's promise. Occasionally, someone will ask me if they have to be baptized in order to be saved. I point to the thief on the cross and say, "Hmm, maybe not. But if the thief didn't have that excuse, do you think he would have? (laughs) And he had an excuse, what's yours? (laughs) What's the reason you don't want to be baptized as a believer? God sent his son to die a sinner's death. He was spat on, beat, stripped naked, and nailed to a cross in order to offer you salvation as a public display. He said to be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I think not surrendering to baptism shows a heart that is resistant to surrendering to God. Believers don't just offer God our sins. We yield our wills to God, all of it. If a believer won't submit to baptism... What will they do when Jesus asks them to pray, or serve, or share their faith, or tithe? The best motive in my mind to do anything is that Jesus said to. We may not understand, but that's what trust is all about. This baptism isn't an optional command or a trivial issue. It's submitting to being united with Jesus, and it's an act of obedience. I'm gonna close this morning with a story. This is, this is my favorite baptism story ever. I was at my first church in Quarry, Pennsylvania, and a man by the name of Wendell Gage was sitting there. And we had just celebrated a baptism, and he, he told me where he was baptized. He was in a foxhole with a fellow soldier. They had both grown up in Christian households, but they had wandered from the faith. The next morning, they were gonna make an offensive against the Germans. And as they sat and talked through the night, they weren't sure that they were gonna make it home. And they said, you know what? we need Jesus, we need, we need God's protection, we need his grace, we need to rededicate our lives to God before this morning breaks. They both decided that they were gonna follow Jesus and they looked up, I'm not making this up, it, a church illuminated by the moon was in a distance those two soldiers in World War II snuck out of the foxhole, went and found the preacher who baptized them in the middle of the night. Wendell said that he and his buddy both promised to follow Jesus the rest of their lives. And if they made it home alive, they would serve him for the rest of their days. Both Wendell and his partner made it home. Wendell was sitting in front of me at almost 90 years old in tears. He was also the company's bugler. He was a phenomenal musician. He could play anything. Before he went into the service, he used to play in bars and hoop it up with women. And he spent the rest of his life playing music in church. At 90-some years old, he was faithful to the covenant he made in a foxhole in France in World War II. May we surrender our lives to Jesus. He gave his all for us. May we respond with the first step and the second And the third, and may God find us faithful in the end. Let's pray. God, we are so excited and thrilled to celebrate this baptism this morning. We know, God, that you have plans for this young lady like you have plans for all of us. And we're thrilled, God, at the work you're doing in her life and in our lives. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to the New Stanton Church podcast. We'd love to connect with you. So visit our website at newstantonchurch.com. Follow the Get Involved tab and RSVP to our next meet and greet.